Well, good morning. We are here this morning to be in God's Word. So let's open up in the book of Acts to chapter 8 and in verse 26 where we left off last week. And as you're turning there, I will give you a brief recap. In Acts chapter 20, excuse me, chapter 8, verse 26, we've been talking about Philip's ministry. Philip the deacon who became Philip the evangelist, a servant who God used in a mighty way and continued to use, was led as the church was being scattered through persecution to go to Samaria. And we talked about that last week. He went to a city in Samaria. God worked amazingly through him. There were evil spirits being cast out. People were getting healed. People were getting saved. People were believing in the gospel and coming to Christ. And they sent uh, the disciples, or excuse me, the apostles sent Peter and John from Jerusalem to check things out. And the Holy Spirit came upon the people. Just a wonderful outpouring of God's Spirit on his people, on those that gave their lives to him. You probably couldn't have described a greater revival. Or you probably couldn't have said, well, uh, how much more successful could that ministry have been? I mean, it was just incredibly successful. And what happens next doesn't make any sense whatsoever, given the success that Philip experienced. Except that God sometimes works in ways that does not make sense to us. So this morning we're going to see that after Philip was scattered through persecution and found himself in a city in Samaria where God had called him and experienced tremendous success in ministry, we're going to see that Philip was directed by an angel of the Lord to travel the desert road south from Jerusalem to Gaza. That is, he was led into the desert. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you because we know whether we're on the mountain, in the valley, in the desert, at the seashore, wherever you've called us to go, if you're the one leading us, we need not fear. We need not be concerned. We need not worry about whether ministry will be successful or will be used by you. We know that we know that we know that when you lead us and you direct us, we can be assured of this very truth, that you are working all things together for good in and through our lives, that you're bringing about fruit, the fruit of your spirit in and through our lives. You're working to help us to love you more, but also to love others. And so, Lord, as we continue to look at Philip's ministry in this chapter, may our study today be beneficial in helping us to understand what kind of people you use for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've always loved Philip as a character study. I've always thought he was a very interesting character. He comes up a number of times in the book of Acts, but I think probably this is the defining moment in Philip's life because he's directed to take the desert road. And the thing we first see about Philip is that he was submitted to God. So if you're taking notes, that's probably the first thing you want to write down. He was submitted to God. We read in verses 26 and the first part of 27 in chapter 8 of the book of Acts. Now an angel of the Lord, that is a messenger from God, said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And if you know where Gaza is, Gaza uh, is along the Mediterranean coast. You're probably familiar with it because it's in the news quite a bit even today. But take the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now they would say down, 
because the elevation in Jerusalem was so high that wherever you went, north, south, east, or west from Jerusalem, you were going down. Looking at it from their perspective, they weren't looking at an overhead aerial shot. They were just down to Gaza, down to the seashore. And notice the first part of verse 27, so he started out. I just want to stop there. So he started out. You could just say, oh, okay, yeah, that's fine. But I want you to think about how submitted to God Philip was. You know, the scriptures tell us in Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will direct your path, or he will make your path straight. He's going to lead you if you're submitted to him, if you're trusting in him. The very first step for a man or a woman of God to be used by God is to be submitted, to trust God. That's hard. Oh, it's easy when God says, well, I want you to uh, go here and you're going to experience wonderful success. Oh, it's easy when things are going well, but it's not always so easy when the command that God gives us makes absolutely no sense at all. Listen, he was willing to leave a successful ministry. Now, you have to be careful how you define successful ministry. Successful ministry should never be uh, measured in numbers of people because Jesus's ministry was primarily to 12 men and one of them failed. So you have to be careful when you measure ministry or you deem ministry successful or unsuccessful. It's never about numbers. It's never about what man thinks. It's about how God esteems the work. If God is directing a ministry like Jeremiah the prophet's ministry, and he has literally no one listened to him for decades, can you call that ministry unsuccessful? No. It was successful in that Jeremiah is one of the greatest prophets that ever lived, and his message lives on today. But yes, the people failed, and they disregarded and rejected his message. I mean, you might say he had no converts, but, you know, we don't know that. We just know that no one, none of the kings, no one really listened to him. But I want you to think about this. When it came down to thinking about who Jesus might be, the people of his day questioned, maybe it's Jeremiah. Maybe he's Elijah. Maybe he's that prophet that Moses talked about. But maybe he's Jeremiah. Listen, may our ministry, successful or unsuccessful by the world's standards, Always be compared to Jesus' ministry, and may they not be found wanting. If people say, you know who that guy reminds me of? You know who she reminds me of? Jesus. You're probably involved in a very successful ministry. Amen? So he submitted. He leaves a quote-unquote successful ministry in Samaria to travel through a dry and empty place. Maybe you have experienced that in your life. Maybe you have gone from a place of quote-unquote success to a dry and empty place in your life or in your ministry. It doesn't mean that God isn't leading. In fact, the Lord was leading him one step at a time without revealing to him his entire plan. Doesn't that drive you crazy? We've been working on some projects around here, Jim and I. And one of the things that we do when we're, when we're building something or working on the bathroom next door, we look at how the plan ends. By knowing where we end up, it helps us to do what we're supposed to do up front. You don't wait, do you? When you're, I hope you, when you're assembling an Ikea uh, package or, or box or piece of furniture. I hope you at least look at what it's supposed to look like when you're done, right? Usually you go to the store and you say, oh, that's what it looks like. Then you get this box that's enormously heavy 
and packed in how they packed that stuff in there. And you open it up and all you've got is a bunch of pieces and, and some, some little tools. And how is this going to happen? Well, you go step by step by step. But if you're like me, you go all the way to the last page and work your way back so you can see where you're going. God doesn't work that way. God is not an Ikea furniture salesman. I love knowing where I'm going, how it's going to end up, what's going to happen, but that's never the way God works in my life. Oh, I may have a general idea, but I really don't know where this thing is going to end up. Philip is no different. One step at a time without revealing to him his entire plan. He just says, look, uh, you need to go on this desert road. You, You need to go into the desert. That's it. Not what's going to happen when you're there. Just you need to go on this desert road. And listen, here's the first principle. The Lord can use a person that trusts him when his ways appear to make little or no sense. The Lord can use a person that trusts him when his ways appear to make little or no sense. That's what it means to be submitted to God. Well, next step. After he started out, it says he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch. On his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch. He started out and on his way. Keep that in the back of your mind. He met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. Well, that's interesting. Then God is in control. The angel told him to go. He bumps into this guy. Seems like coincidence, but it's not. It's God incidents. You know that God is going to work in this way if you follow him. If you start out and on the way, you will be where God has called you to be. That's because Philip was a man of faith and obedience. He started out. There is a, an obedience that comes through faith. There is a faith that leads to obedience. Romans chapter 1, verse 5 talks about it. There is that kind of faith. Faith isn't just faith, it's obedience. It's obedience. Philip met his divine appointment. He didn't know he had one, but he did. He had an appointment with an Ethiopian eunuch while traveling south on the desert road. Now, this influential and important man was the treasurer of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This official had traveled to Jerusalem to worship the Lord and was on his way home to Ethiopia. Now, keep in mind, he's a Gentile. He's not a Jew, but he's a convert to Judaism. Judaism had returned with the Queen of Sheba after her visit with King Solomon, like a thousand years earlier. You see, the faith of the Jews had made its way to northern Africa And the Ethiopians even today have a large Jewish community because of the Queen of Sheba who brought her faith back to her country many, many years earlier. And it continued throughout the centuries up until the time of Jesus and during the time of Philip's ministry. This Ethiopian man sitting in his chariot is reading aloud. Obviously, he's reading aloud. How would Philip know what he was reading? He's reading aloud from Isaiah the prophet. Talk about a setup. Have you ever been in a setup? You get on the elevator. I mean, imagine you get on the elevator and someone starts reading aloud from the prophet Isaiah. That would be kind of obvious. But sometimes it's a little bit more subtle. You get called to jury duty. You sit down and you turn over and someone is reading their Bible. 
Or you just have a conversation with people. Now, I don't know why, but people like to talk to me. Now, here's the truth. I love talking to y'all. I really do. I'm here because I love you guys, all right? But when I'm on a plane and I'm going on vacation or I'm going on a conference, I don't really want to talk to anybody. I'm just going to be straight up. It is true. I want to relax. I want to rest. I want to turn my brain off. I don't want to talk. If you come to watch a sporting event or a movie at my house and we're sitting down or we're in the movie theater and you talk, I will not like you. (laughs) There is a time to talk and a time to be quiet. So here I am on a plane and, you know, I don't know what it is. I sit down. It happens to me almost all the time or when I used to ride the bus, too. And someone starts to talk to me. And my first reaction is always fleshly. Why is this person talking? This is my time. And this person is invading my space. And then the Lord says, really? Oh, okay, Lord. Go down the desert road. Here we go. And inevitably, I get into a conversation. And it's, it's a wonderful conversation. And it's easy. It's, you start talking about the Lord because they ask questions. We had a situation like this recently with some friends. We sat down and we actually, Michelle and I talked in the car. And we were like, yeah, I kind of pray that, you know, the Lord comes up in our conversation. We sat down and the individual said, uh, so what do you teach on Sundays? <laughs> so I can relate to those moments where suddenly it's like, oh my goodness, I think God has me to open up my mouth. So here's the situation with Philip. And Philip was, as we've said before, a Grecian Jew, a Jew, but Greek by culture. This Ethiopian is a Jew, but Ethiopian by culture. So they're both foreigners to Judaism, and yet they're Jews. They're they're converts. So that being the case, he saw and realized that the Lord was calling those outside the Hebrew culture to be his people. Now, it started with Grecian Jews, but then it went to Samaria. Remember last week? The Samaritans, who were kind of Jews, but kind of not. Now we have a man who's definitely not a Jew by birth, but a Jew by choice. Things are starting to expand. The kingdom's moving in the right direction. We're ultimately going to get to the place where Gentiles can become Christians without becoming Jews. We're not there yet. Not in the book of Acts. But we're about to get there. So what we see here is that people are now being called to have a relationship with Jesus who are outside the Hebrew culture. And listen, here's our principle. Here's our principle. The Lord can use a person that obeys the word of the Lord by faith. The Lord can use a person that obeys the word of the Lord by faith. And that's what Philip did. He sees this going on. He finds himself there, and then we read in verse 29, the Spirit told Philip. Well, see, first an angel of the Lord tells him to get on that road, and now the Spirit tells Philip. How is that different? Well, I I think when the angel of the Lord or an angel of the Lord comes and speaks, there's no denying it. And I think it's important to realize, if you're going to leave a work that's really flourishing, you probably should hear from God. I know a lot of people get antsy and they move on to something else. And God really hasn't called them. But this was clear. God had called them an angel of the Lord. Now, whether he appeared in a vision or a dream or he appeared to him, we don't know. Just that he appeared. But now the Spirit is speaking. And by the way, what you'll find is early on in your Christian walk, God will make it abundantly clear what he wants you to do. It'll be so obvious you can't even argue with it. 
But as you grow in your faith, it starts to become a little more subtle. You'll be reading the scripture and you'll feel the spirit tugging at your heart. You'll be looking at something or even watching a movie and and you're like, wow, I think God is speaking to me. It's the spirit speaking to you, the Holy Spirit. And sometimes you just get a sense. I've had this experience a lot. I don't know why this is kind of how it happens for me. Again, like sitting on a plane and being quiet. I like to sleep. But God will sometimes wake me up in the morning and I have to get up and write it down. There have been times lately where I've had an epiphany in the morning when I'm waking up, right? And I'm like, oh, okay, all right. No, I'm going to forget. I got to get up. I got to put it in my iPad and go back to sleep because God is speaking to me, giving me direction. And it's happened so frequently lately where I, I just got up and I'm like, I think this is what I need to do. And, you know, decisions, uh, direction, like, what are we going to do? Uh, even, even with, again, with, with the projects here we're working on, you know, I'm trying to figure out which contractor do we hire? Do we hire a contractor? Do we do the work ourselves? And I remember one morning I just got up and, and it was just so clear. Uh, the Lord, <laughs> it's going to sound goofy, but the Lord told me which plumber to use. Because in a commercial building, though I do plumbing, I have no intention of, you know, doing that level of plumbing. And, you know, something as simple as that. And I had such peace after I made that decision. And I did not have peace until then. That sounds silly, doesn't it? The Spirit told Philip. Sometimes the Spirit just tells you stuff. So I'm giving you a practical example that even sounds a little strange or not spiritual because I want you to see the Spirit will talk to you. Maybe an angel of the Lord will direct you in, in big and wonderful ways. But sometimes the Spirit just whispers in your ear. You hear that still, small voice. And it says the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. It's a great opener. So the spirit tells him, do this, and he does it. It's not even a big thing. Just just go there. Just go there. Just go. You know, I remember when the spirit told me, I didn't receive a vision or anything, uh, to go on my first foreign mission trip. I remember when the Spirit told me to go on my first mission trip. It was to Alaska in 1987, and that was very clear. That was like an angel of the Lord. I'm sitting in the service, and I, 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 if I didn't go, like, I knew that I was being disobedient to God. And, in fact, I, and then he confirmed it because uh, I, I happened to tell my pastor at the time, yeah, I think the Lord is calling me to go. I was like a Christian a year at this point. And, and he happened to be talking to the travel agent who was booking the, the trip. And back then we had this thing called payphones. Young people don't know what we're talking about. So he went up to the payphone in the hall and he got on. Oh, he was a travel agent. You guys don't even know what that is, do you? And he got on the phone and he called somebody that only travel agents called. And before I knew it, I'm leaving there. I, 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 my flight was booked. And I was going to Alaska in February 1987. Last place on earth I would go. Too stinking cold for me. God was gracious, though. It was actually colder in New Jersey that week that I was in Anchorage. But that's just not important to the study today. The important thing is that God made that abundantly clear. Now, now that's, that's all well and good. But, you know, later on, when it, in 2004, when I went on my first foreign missions trip, I had just been telling people how important missions were. And I had met Pastor Joe, Pastor Joe Nigro. And we started to work together, and I told him I wanted to be 100% supportive of his ministry, and we decided to partner together. And so Straight Path Ministries in Calvary Chapel, we came alongside each other and decided we're going to work together. You're going to be 
the missions pastor, and I remember we were at the TikTok diner. We were talking in the car. You're going to be the missions pastor, and, and I'm going to support you 100%. Well, then the Lord's like, you're going to support him 100%, right? Okay, yeah, yeah, that's what I feel led to do, yeah. Well, it's kind of hard to be 100% supportive and not go on the next missions trip. So there I am, booking my way to Cuba. And I was not a missionary. I am now, but I wasn't then. So you see, sometimes the Spirit just tells you to do stuff. It's not complicated. Brothers and sisters, we talked about last week being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Once you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes upon you and anoints you. You should be hearing like that from God. Someone asked me last week, how do I know I'm baptized with the Holy Spirit? This is one of the ways you know. This is one of the ways you know. You start to hear from God. So the, the, the Spirit told Philip to go to that chariot and stay near it. Now, <clears throat> here, here's the thing. In verse 29, we read that, but Philip is being led by the Holy Spirit. I mean, we talk about the, oh, I was led of the Spirit. That's what led of the Spirit looks like. It's a wonderful example. You've already started out because God has told you to go. On the way, God has directed you, and now the Spirit speaks to you and leads you. I love this portion of Scripture because it it outlines in very wonderful ways how we follow God's leading. You don't have all the pieces. You don't know where you're going necessarily, but along the way, God gives you mile markers. Mile markers. Something else you guys probably don't know about. Before navigation, we had this thing called mile markers on the highway that told us how far we were from our destination. But boy, I'm really dating myself today. Okay. Philip was led of the Spirit. He received further direction from the Spirit when he was where the Lord had called him to be. Did you hear what I just said? He received further direction from the Spirit when he was where the Lord had called him to be. The Spirit had led the Ethiopian to a specific portion of the Word of God. Isaiah 53, verses 7, 8, we'll find out. And the Spirit directed Philip to make himself available to this Ethiopian man. And so, (coughs) excuse me, Philip then asked this man if he understood the Scripture that he was reading aloud from Isaiah. Now, you might be saying, why was he reading aloud? The Jews read their Scripture aloud. They do this. It's almost like a chant. It's kind of a prayer. And so it's not weird. It's actually the way they would read. And it was sort of a form of worship, really. And so that's what they're doing. That's what he's doing. Philip hears this and he says, you understand what you're reading? You real, do you know what you're talking about here? And of course, he, he, we're going to see he didn't, but Philip understood how to interpret it. He was full of wisdom in the Holy Spirit. And here's our principle, the third this morning, and we'll recap at the end. The Lord can use a person that makes himself available to the direction of the Holy Spirit. The Lord can use a person that makes himself or herself available to the direction of the Holy Spirit. That's what Philip did. Well, Philip was invited to share his faith. Look at verses 31 through 34. He asked, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, how can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And the eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? That is, he didn't have any. For his life was taken from the earth. 
Now you read that and you think, oh, I can understand that. Yeah, but with the benefit of hindsight, of course you can. Imagine you're on the other side of it, right? Think about it. I can remember I took uh, Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22 one time, and I printed it out without any scripture references. And I handed it to a person at work that I was ministering to. I said, do me a favor. Would you just read this? Tell me if you, if you understand it. Kind of a reverse Philip thing here. Do you understand what you're reading? Well, who are we talking about? And the person said, well, Jesus, of course. I said, you know what? You're absolutely right. And you know what's even cooler? That this portion of scripture was written a thousand years before he was born. Psalm 22. And Isaiah 53, 700 years before he was born. And then you just walk away. That's a mic drop. You guys know what that is. That's a mic drop. You let that simmer and marinate a little bit before you follow up with that conversation. That's a lot to think about, right? Then they read over it and again they're like, yeah. So this is what we read here. And then he goes on in verse 34. We'll tie it up. Then the eunuch or the eunuch asked Philip after reading that scripture, tell me, please tell me who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? (laughs) Tell me about Jesus. That's what he's saying. He doesn't know it. See, it's, it's a good thing to follow the Lord, isn't it? Amen? To be led of the Spirit, to be on the way, to start out when he calls you to go. All of these things are so important to being led of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, used by the Holy Spirit, working in the power of the Spirit, having the Spirit work in and through your life. So Philip's invited to share his faith. Now, the faith, the Ethiopian man invited Philip to explain the meaning of Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. The Spirit had pointed this man to Jesus through the study of the Word of God, and that's how people come to faith. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God, and hearing by the Word of God, yes, King James. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God, NIV. That is the truth. So our goal is to get people in the Word, not to convince them to have faith. Oh, did you hear what I said? Our goal is to get people in the word, not to convince people to have faith. Because if you can get them in the word, like this man, faith comes by hearing the word of God. Now, sadly, there was no one in Jerusalem that was able to explain the word of God to him. You know what's sad? In today's church, there are many churches that are incapable of explaining the word of God to you. They haven't studied it. They don't value it. They don't put it at the top of their priority list. It's all about emotion. It's all about entertainment. It's all about energy, but it's not about the word of God. They have all the trappings, all the tech, all the bells and whistles, but not the one thing that will bring people to faith. And that's sad. But there was no one in Jerusalem that could help him, obviously. It's why he's still reading it aloud, trying to figure it out. So Philip patiently waited for this man to ask before answering his questions. What? He patiently waited for the man to ask before answering his questions. See, we answer people's questions they haven't even asked yet. We're telling people they need Jesus and they haven't even asked the question yet. You have to, through relationship, give people an opportunity to ask. And then you answer. What is it that Peter said? Always be prepared to give an answer to those that question and answer that to those that want to know your faith, those that want to know. In fact, that's a great scripture. It's in 1 Peter 
chapter uh, 3, verses 15 through 16, and I'm going to point it out because it might be a good memory verse. It might be something good to hold on to, right? I'm sure it is. So in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 through 16, But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord, and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And I like this. We leave this out oftentimes. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. You see, where's the gentleness and the respect when you're badgering someone? That's called evangelism. They call it apologetics because of the word for answer, but it's actually not apologetics. It's actually evangelism. It's actually sharing your faith. Apologetics is good. It's, it's, it, you know, it's giving an answer, and I, and I get that. But sometimes we forget that they need to ask the question first. They really do. Again, I'm not down on apologetics. I just think that sharing the gospel is the priority, that's all. So having said that, this man is asking the question, and Philip patiently waits. Now, Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8, you guys know this, but I'll recap it. It prophetically describes the Messiah's sacrificial suffering for mankind. Clearly, you know that. We know that he would not cry out during his trials. He didn't. He didn't cry out during his scourging or his crucifixion. He didn't defend himself before Herod, Pilate, or the Jews. And, and, and as a sheep is silent before her shears is a, is a wonderful analogy, but sheep don't cry out. They may bleed. They may make a little noise, but they don't cry out when they're shorn because they know they're not going to die. They're not, they know they're not being slaughtered. Now, if, it, if they're not shearing the sheep, but they're slaughtering the sheep, that's a different story. And yet, even though Jesus knew he was giving his life, he didn't cry out. He was like a sheep that was being shorn. Why is that? Because he knew he wasn't going to die. Oh no, he died on the cross, don't get me wrong. But he didn't cry out when he suffered because he knew that he would rise again, amen? Just like that sheep was being sure. They lay them down, they, they, they shear the sheep, and the sheep gets up a little lighter. Like me when I get a haircut. Feel a little bit better. So, we know that Jesus would be killed after enduring three unjust trials at the hands of the Jews and the Romans. And of course, it says in his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, it's, we read there that he, in the scriptures in John 18, that he was arrested on false charges in the Garden of Gethsemane. We know that's true. He appeared before the Sanhedrin twice in one night, which was illegal. Afterward, before Pilate, and Pilate said he was innocent. He never married, nor did he have children, so he left no descendants behind after he died, as Isaiah said would happen. And he was cut off from his own people to save them from their sins. His life was taken from the earth. So every word talks about Jesus. Of course. Yeah, we know, of course, but the Ethiopian eunuch did not. And this man desperately wanted to know who Isaiah was talking about in this portion of Scripture. Now, the Lord can use a person, here's our principle, that politely and considerately makes himself or herself available to others. You see, there's that aspect of being considerate and polite. And we saw, we saw uh, Philip, Peter, Paul, all of the evangelists of the New Testament, they were polite. Don't be rude. Don't badger people. 
Wait to be asked. And when they ask, be ready to give them the answer. Amen? So the Lord can use a person that politely and considerately makes himself available to others. Then we get to verse 35. And of course, Philip was fully prepared to share his faith. No surprise there. Verse 35, and that's because God won't call you to something you're not prepared to do. So when Philip, or then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news of the gospel about Jesus. Preach the gospel from that very portion of Scripture. Not that hard to do, is it? I mean, it's, it's a wonderful portion of Scripture. Some are more difficult than others. In mentoring, one of the lessons that I do with the young men that, uh, young men that I mentor over the years, I've, I've asked them, I'm going to just randomly select a Scripture, and I want you to preach to the gospel to me from that Scripture. And that can be challenging, but this was not that difficult because this was what God had led this man to read. So as we look at that, we realize the Lord can use a person that makes himself or herself available considerately, politely. But Philip was prepared and he answered this man's question and explained to him the meaning of the passage. He intelligently answered him from the very passage of scripture that he was reading and he was able to preach the gospel from this Old Testament passage of Isaiah. Far too few Christians study the Old Testament. I got news for you. The early church didn't have a New Testament. They preached from the Old Testament. Jesus did not have a New Testament. They were busy living it and writing it. And yet the gospel flourished in the first century in a way that it probably hasn't since. So, as I've shared this before, the first missionary I ever met opened up his Bible to where Malachi meets Matthew and said, you see that? Two-thirds of the Bible is Old Testament. Maybe we should be reading it two-thirds of the time. It stuck with me. And I made my life's passion studying the Old Testament two-thirds of the time. Okay. He preached the word. Philip preached the word of God. He shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with this Ethiopian man. I don't have to point out that this man was a man of color, do I? Is that racist to say it? No, it's racial, but it's not racist. I mean, he was a man of color. Praise God. Yes, black lives do matter to God. Just not in the way that our world seems to think. I am very, very sad when I look at our world and see what we've done to ourselves, separating each other by our skin color, by our ethnic group, by our political persuasions, the very thing that Dr. Martin Luther King strove in his life, his brief life, to achieve, has been undone in a very short period of time in our culture by people who are racists. Can I say that? If you walk around saying white lives are better than black lives, you're a racist. And if you walk around saying black lives are more important than white lives, you're a racist. Because racists see race. They see color. The church, we don't see any of those things. At least we're not supposed to. I look around. I don't, see, I don't judge you or assess you on the basis of your skin color, your ethnic group, or whatever. There are Christians and there are those where hopefully we'll be Christians soon, right? What has gone wrong in our world? Well, the good news is <laughs> being preached to a man of color by a man who is a Grecian Jew, sort of an outsider. See, God is working. If we let him, God is working through his word, and he doesn't see color. He's not a respecter of persons. That goes on and on throughout the entire Bible. God is not a respecter of persons. 
God doesn't look at the outward. He looks at the inward. He looks at the heart. Remember that. Okay. He preached the word of God, and the Lord can use a person that's prepared to share his faith in Jesus. Are you prepared to share your faith in Jesus? Because the Lord can use a person that is prepared to share his or her faith in Jesus. Okay, well, here's what happens next. Philip baptizes this man. Look at this. Verse 36. And we'll just look at verses 36 and 37 first. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. It's pretty simple. Hopelessly simple, really. You mean he said, why shouldn't I be baptized? The Lord said we should be baptized. And Philip said, let's baptize you. Why do we make everything so stinking complicated? I don't know what's wrong with us as human beings, especially in the church. Anyway, the Ethiopian man asked Philip to baptize him. Why? Because he believed in the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, there is a verse that is not in the later uh, editions uh, of, of scripture, that is uh, translations. And uh, it's verse 37. The NIV actually puts it in the margin. It's not heretical. It's just probably not part of the original text. It was probably added later on because people got a little wigged out that you could just baptize somebody without them going to a six-week class and joining a church and becoming a member. I'm being sarcastic. In verse 37, Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And the eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I read that verse, and that reeks of religion. So I'm glad the NIV translators put it where it belongs, in the margin. It's nothing, there's nothing wrong with what's listed there, but it didn't show up in any of the early transcripts. It doesn't mean it's bad, and it may even be inspired. But the point is, I understand what that's all about, because that's what we do to baptism. That's what we do in the church. We try to codify it and make it a religious experience. But if you look at the original text, it wasn't. It was just, why shouldn't I be baptized? Again, not heretical. Just interesting that it showed up later on. Kind of speaks to the point. So this Ethiopian man sees some water in the desert, decides that he wanted to be baptized. And this wasn't a requirement, but he knew it was the Lord's will. He wasn't even required to join a church or take any classes. He just knew that this was the right thing to do. And believers are commanded to be baptized and to baptize, by the way. All believers, not just bishops and priests and pastors. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward change. All the outward does is direct your attention to the inward change. It doesn't do anything because the inward change has already taken place. So why do we hold baptism as some kind of a privilege when all it's supposed to do is show the world what's happened to you. You see, when we understand baptism properly, it's not that big a deal. But again, we have a tendency to make a big deal out of everything. Anyway, um, I'm going to skip over 37. I've already read it. And, but, but understand that more than likely what it says is true. Philip was willing to baptize this man if he believed the gospel of Jesus Christ with all of his heart, and he clearly did. And the Ethiopian man in verse 37 boldly proclaimed that he did believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's sort of like redundant, but it's okay. 
So now we move on. In verses 38 through 39, it tells us there in the book of Acts that then he gave orders, uh, excuse me, um, yes, then he gave orders to stop the chariot. And then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. But look at verse 39. When they came out, or when they came up out of the water, I want you to, to stop a minute. When they came up out of the water, not a sprinkling. That's full immersion baptism. It's the only kind of baptism that really exists. I have to be honest. But pastor, I was baptized as a baby. Yes, so was I, but that's not baptism. Oh, but pastor, the church I went to just kind of, you know, got a little sprinkler, you know, a little water bottle and went, because water is all that's important. Now the water has nothing to do with it. It's, it's a symbol. A full immersion baptism is the symbol, not water. Well, water, if you're from New York or New Jersey, right? Uh, it's not that. So I, I know I'm being picky here, but that's what the scripture says. It says, when they come, came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. What? Beam me up. What just happened? Well, we're going to find out. It's interesting because, as I've said, Philip disappeared immediately after he baptized this Ethiopian man. He water baptized this man through full immersion in the water because it's a symbol of your death in Christ and your life in Christ, your death to your old self and your new life. So sprinkling doesn't get that done. It has to be full immersion. Now, what happened in verse 39? Well, he was taken by the Lord. It says there that when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. That can be translated violently snatched him out of there. Actually, when it's translated into Latin, they use the word raptus or rapture. When they use the phrase in Greek, it's harpazo. It's a a little different, but... That's where we get the term rapture from, because it means to be violently snatched away. And that's exactly what happened. He was, quote unquote, raptured. Raptured to where? We'll see in a minute. But he was raptured by the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord can do that, by the way. Amen. You remember that Jesus was raptured into heaven when he ascended into heaven, right? I mean, that's, that's the phrase that's used in Revelation 12, verse 5, to describe him being caught up into heaven. Same, same words. Paul was raptured into heaven by the Spirit, but then returned to earth in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He had a sort of an out-of-body experience. He was caught up. It says caught up into the third heaven. He was raptured into heaven, but then he returned. He didn't really know what happened, but that's how he described it. Philip was raptured somewhere, possibly into heaven, but then he was returned to a place called Azotus. Now, we do know that the church of Jesus Christ will be raptured as well. Amen? First Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 talk about the rapture of the church. You can argue about when it might happen, but not if it will happen. We can have a disagreement about pre, post, mid, whatever, but you can't argue that the rapture of the church is a biblical concept. It's in all of these examples, and the church will be raptured one day. I personally believe it will happen before Daniel's 70th week. That is before the seven years of tribulation. But even if I'm wrong, it will happen before Christ comes again. That I know. So, as I look at this, I'm I'm recognizing God does stuff we just don't even understand or can explain. Right? Can anyone explain this? Not me. I can tell you what the words mean. I can tell you what happened, but I can't explain it. I could come up with 
some type of a speculative argument as to what happened, but I really don't know, and, and I don't think Philip knew. Paul didn't understand what had happened. Philip didn't either. What we read is that he was, quote-unquote, found at Azotus. Back to what we just read. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, caught him up, raptured him, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Just want to stop there before we get to the next point. Went on his way rejoicing. He was rejoicing in the Lord. He was filled with the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is great joy. He was a Gentile that had converted to Judaism and had now become a Christian. Judaism returned with the Queen of Sheba after her visit to King Solomon a thousand years earlier. But Christianity now returned with the Ethiopian eunuch after his visit with Philip the Evangelist. Does God care about all people groups? Yes. Does God love and care about people of color? Absolutely. He cares to share his good news, his gospel with them. So I want us to remember that when, when, we're, when the culture forces us to think about race, which we really shouldn't even be thinking that way, think about it this way. Christ died on the cross for all men and women, for the whole world. So then we read in verse 40, Philip, however, appeared, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. And we'll see Philip again. But he suddenly appeared is how you translate that Greek word, was found. Was found. He appeared at Azotus like, was found. When did you get here? That kind of thing. You ever been somewhere and you turn around and somebody's there, you didn't even know they were there, you're at a party or something? That's it. Philip was found or suddenly appeared at Azotus. Azotus is a Philistine city. Uh, it used to be called Ashdod in the Old Testament. It's about 25 miles north of Gaza along the coast. The Spirit of the Lord supernaturally transported him, possibly into heaven and then back down. I don't know, probably. Some type of interdimensional experience. Transported him to this city. Why? To continue his ministry. That's what happened. He continued his ministry. Go to the desert, go to the chariot, talk to the guy, baptize him, boom! Got something else for you to do. Talk about a frequent flyer. I mean, the guy is no longer there. He's gone. This is, this is supernatural. This was a man accustomed to the supernatural, but even for him, I'm sure this was a reach. Now, here's what we know. The Lord can use a person that is willing to go wherever the Holy Spirit may take him. The Lord can use a person that's willing to go wherever the Holy Spirit may take him. We've been talking about the kind of person the Lord uses, that the Holy Spirit can work through. Philip preached the gospel of Jesus Christ after he showed up in his Otis. In all the Gentile towns, as he traveled north to Caesarea, he may have planted churches in Lydda and Joppa, which were later visited by Peter. We'll talk about that in Acts chapter 9. He had a house church in Caesarea, we know this in Acts chapter 21, where he later hosted Paul and his missionary team. And he also had four unmarried daughters, poor guy, no, just four unmarried daughters, <laughs> that means they were young, four unmarried daughters who prophesied in Acts chapter 21. So God continued to use this man. Brothers and sisters, as I asked the worship team to come up, 
The Lord can use a person like Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven. A person known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, a person who ministers as a servant leader in the church. Stay with me. A person determined to share with others the truth that Jesus is the promised Messiah. A person that trusts the Lord when his ways appear to make little or no sense. A person that obeys the word of the Lord by faith. A person that makes himself available to the direction of the Holy Spirit. A person that politely and considerately makes himself available to others. A person that's prepared to share his faith in Jesus. And a person that's willing to go wherever the Holy Spirit may take them. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us the example of Philip, and we ask that we would be all of those things, that all of those principles would be true in our lives, and that we'd be the people that you can work through, that you can use for your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.